Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Volume. Well, NBA fans, the wait is over. NBA basketball is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting part of the NBA, is celebrating an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MANIX. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for just betting $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code MANIX. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, calling Cowherds Podcast Network. Glad you could join me this week. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you uh, download your favorite podcast. Rate and review this podcast as well. I always appreciate that. Uh, Jake Donovan, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. He's going to join me. As always, a lot to get into in boxing. There was a report in the Wall Street Journal that Netflix could get into boxing. I want to talk to Jake about that. The Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk fight is inching closer to the finish line. I want to get into uh, how perspectives may have changed 
about Fury and Usyk. You've got some talk about John Ryder against Jaime Munguia. Callum Walsh, young prospect, he fights at MSG this weekend. Jake Donovan joins me to talk about that and much more. A little bit later, Diego Pacheco, 168-pound prospect slash contender. Not exactly sure what we call Pacheco these days, but he is really really good. He is headlining November 18th at the YouTube Theater live on DAZN. A big moment for Diego Pacheco, who a lot of people think is the next big thing in the boxing space. I talked to him about his journey to get to this point. The kid turned pro at 17 years old. He's just 22 now. He's highly ranked by all four of the major sanctioning bodies. I talked to him about that process, uh, what the last few years have been like to him, and what he is ready for in 2024 if he gets through this next test uh, on November 18th. All right, let's get into it. Jake Donovan is here, BoxingScene.com, one of the best insiders in the business today. And Jake, it seems like every single week nowadays, I am opening the show talking about the business of boxing, whether it's Showtime going out of business, PBC's next move. There's a lot going on, a lot of moving parts right now in the boxing space, which makes 2024 very murky about how mm-hmm. all this stuff is is going to shake out. So we're going to begin this show the exact same way because there was an interesting report this past week in the Wall Street Journal which reported that Netflix, of all places, was interested or at least kicking the tires on getting in the boxing space. Now, according to this report, they have talked about doing a Jake Paul fight. Netflix, of course, in the Jake Paul business. They just did a documentary on Jake Paul, but also mentioned was PBC, Al Heyman's premier boxing champions, which is currently kind of scouring the landscape looking for a new home for its healthy stable of fighters. So let's start there. What did you make of that journal report and the possibility that Netflix could get into the boxing game? So I'm going to start by saying any rumor that I hear about PBC, I feel like it's a leak that's being done intentionally. My sense is that Al Heyman months ago already decided either where his product is going next or where he wants his product to go next. That there's very potentially a deal has already been made and that stuff like Netflix, Amazon, whoever else, YouTube, anyone else wanting to get involved. I feel like this is stuff to just get it and go, you know, throw everyone on like some fishing expedition. Um, I feel like every year Netflix, whether it's boxing or any other sport, they keep talking about they want to get into live sports. They want to get into football, you know, whatever. This year, it's boxing's turn. PBC needs a home, you know, or so everyone believes. So now Netflix is back to the forefront. As you mentioned, it makes sense for them to be in the Jake Paul business if there is business to be made for Jake Paul, which my understanding is there should be sometime in 2024. So it's possible that he does like a one-off. They see how that goes. To me, that feels like more a excuse me a more realistic scenario than going all the way in with PBC and then finding out for either side whether it's PBC, that Netflix isn't a good fit or vice versa. You do a one-off with Jake Paul and then Netflix can decide, okay, let's see if we want to go full throttle in sports because they're, you know, they've always mentioned it, but their hesitance has always been wanting to spend the money that comes with doing live sports. So that just seems like a very risky proposition on there. Now, granted, Netflix historically has thrown money in the wind, you know, so I don't see why, you know, it would be any different here at boxing. Um, I, I just feel like this is a rumor that has been, it's almost like a red herring, so to speak. I actually completely agree. From what I understand, there is a relationship between Al Heyman and some top execs at Netflix, including Ted Sarandos, who is the number one guy at Netflix, who was quoted, I don't know if it's a current quote, but he was quoted in that uh, Wall Street Journal piece. Netflix, I just don't see it. I, you know, Netflix doesn't need boxing. And I'm not sure what 
new subscriber base boxing brings to Netflix? Could they consider a one-off? Maybe, but I'm highly skeptical that PBC winds up bringing its product over to Netflix. Now, as far as PBC goes, I do believe that when it comes to pay-per-views, Amazon will be a landing spot for them. I think that's going to happen in 2024. I, yeah. I'm not sure what's going to happen in terms of the day-to-day Showtime Championship boxing, mid-level shows that uh, have been part of PBC for some time, part of every promoter's repertoire, whatever you wanna, word you want to use uh, for some time. I've heard some things out there. I, I think there's a premium service out there. I have an idea about it, but I don't want to say it because I don't... <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how how serious they are in all this. I think one landing spot that you have to keep an eye on is Warner Brothers and you know Turner and and that uh, group of of networks. They have got you know networks to put stuff on and perhaps you know space to do so as rights change in the coming weeks and months. One thing I was told about Warner is they have to deal with the NBA first. Like they have to get that deal done before they start talking about putting other sports products on their airwaves. But if they have money in reserve, let's say they get an NBA package. That's a smaller package. They don't pay as much as they thought they were going to. And they have some money to spare and they wind up losing a day, you know, because of it or losing some time on the, on the sports calendar because of it. I think Warner brothers and, and their family of networks is, is a possibility. And that, that to me, Jake, makes it makes more sense because these streaming services, again, it goes back to Netflix. They don't need uh, boxing. They, right. Unless you are providing value to them, they don't need you. And if they take you, whether it's Amazon, Apple, Netflix, any of these you know, big companies, they're going to squeeze you. Like You don't get over on these, these tech companies. You know, they're not going to give you $100 million and say, go have fun. They might you know, say, all right, We'll do this little one-off, but you're taking the financial risk on all this. And a network like mm-hmm. Turner uh, might be more willing to engage on something like that. I'm not sure what you're hearing nowadays, but those are the kind of names that I've, the things I've been hearing in the last, you know, several weeks about where PBC might find a landing spot. Yeah, weirdly, I haven't heard Max mention that much. Well, I should, you know, Warner Brothers, as you mentioned, but I know like Max is doing its live sports service. Like the moment that deal came out, that was the first thing I thought of because. You know, you and I, we saw the writing on the wall a long time ago that, you know, Showtime was probably getting out. If you and I saw it, I'm sure Al Heyman saw it way before then and was already planning his next move. Um, Had to. They all, know, they all were over there. Yeah, exactly. So, PB, well, Al Heyman and his team, you know, they made their move from PBC, whatever. HBO made the decision long ago. They weren't going to be in the Al Heyman business. That old guard is completely gone. So I don't see like that being a burnt bridge or anything. If that's something they want to go back to, they can. That would be a great landing spot then it would just be a part of a sports package, not just, you know, HBO getting back in the boxing business. You know, Jim Lampley's back, Larry Marchand back. It's part of the Max, you know, live sports family. That would make a lot of sense. I know I've heard CBS mentioned as well, but it seems weird that you would, you know, tell your entire staff, okay, this department doesn't exist anymore. We're going to lay you all off. And then just to bring them all back and move them over to CBS. That doesn't make sense to me at all. So that was, that I've actually heard rumored more so than the Max part. Um, I, I would love to see that. You know, I, I'm with you. I think um, if Warner Brothers can get back, you know, into that boxing business, I think that would be huge for the sport. Because five years ago, when HBO exited, it seemed like everyone was in a hurry to kind of run them out the game, and they were fine to not spend money on it. No one was prepared to pick up that that torch, though. You know, Showtime should have been the leader, but then PBC split between Showtime and Fox. The Zone was just starting up. ESPN is just—it's it, either going to be in boxing or it's not. I don't—I feel like ESPN could be a leader if it wants to be. I just don't know if they want to. 
we've seen like every promotion it's like wait for this big you know promotion to come along and it, it's just you know we just kind of get the fight week before they start talking about the the event so i don't know if espn is ever going to serve as that leader the zone has more boxing than anyone else but it seems pretty clear pbc and the zone are not going to mix unless it's like a one-off fight so I, I i'm with you if Warner brothers can somehow find a way to reel in pbc business that that would be huge for both sides I agree with you on DAZN. I don't have any specific internal insight at all. Exactly. But I mean, I do think that, you know, for the right fight or the right fighter, they would cherry pick on something right. like that. I mean, they've got enough, if they do it right, you know, they've got enough inventory with Matchroom and Golden Boy to to cover them. And they're signing, they're doing all these smaller shows, like these, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like every weekend there's a new smaller show popping up on DAZN. I, I don't see that that being a match for PBC. Um, yeah, look, I, I would love to see it on Max. I would love mm-hmm. to see it as part of Warner's. I agree it wouldn't be like, all right, we're going to bring back Lampley and Kellerman. And right. it's, it's a very different dynamic uh, right now. Uh, yeah. But that would be a soft landing spot uh, mm-hmm. for PBC. But again, I would warn people listening to this and, you know, aggregators that may be out there. It, it's I don't see anything happening with Warner's or, or any of that that we just talked about until the NBA rights package is settled out. Right. That is a priority first and foremost for not just Warner's, but Turner, ESPN, NBC, yeah. streaming services. Everybody's trying to get a piece of that NBA pie. And it probably won't be till next summer when right. all that is ultimately settled. So I, I think there'll be pay-per-view PBC pay-per-views. I think Absolutely. Amazon is, is a certainly a strong candidate to do some of that. And then we'll see, we'll see who emerges once the dust settles on all these, uh, the, these rights deals that are being signed beginning uh, with the NBA. So we'll see what happens there. I, I want to go back for our next topic to talk about Tyson Fury. A couple of weeks removed now from Fury against Francis Ngannou. I, I believe it's full steam ahead for Fury Usyk. Uh, when I- I've heard some things about a press conference maybe next week over in the UK to announce that fight. So it sounds like that fight's going to happen, you know, February, I'm going to guess, maybe around that mm-hmm. time. Um, it- you know, going into that, Usyk fight, despite the fact that people had talked about Fury as ducking Usyk, which I never really believed, but I still made Fury a big favor because I thought Fury would just box him. You know, he'd use his size, use his length, use his activity to just outbox Usyk. I didn't think it'd be easy because Usyk is great and doesn't make any fight easy, but I thought Fury would outbox him. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel a little bit differently now after watching Fury against Francis Ngannou. Now, maybe you can argue that was a one-night-only bad performance by Tyson Fury. I can buy that. The people that are saying, hey, Three fights with Deontay Wilder, an obliteration of De- Dillian White, a total wipeout of Derek Tesora. Don't hold it against him that he didn't take this fight with Alexander Usyk all that seriously. On the flip side, he's 35 years old, and he has been in some physical fights over the years. And he does carry a lot of weight on that body. Does does what you saw a couple of weeks ago with Fury and Ngannou alter your opinion at all about what might happen with Fury against Usyk? So I, I, I'm with you on that. I'm willing to chalk it off as just a one night, really, really, really bad performance by Tyson Fury. It's to me, it just seemed like it was an event. Nobody took it seriously. I don't know if you did. I certainly didn't. Um, <laughs> but it, it seemed like Tyson just went in. You know, it, it, everyone saw it for the sideshow that it was. Tyson, you know, found out real early that you know Francis Ngannou came to fight. You know, I, I, I went. I didn't watch it live. I went back. You know, I had the benefit of knowing the result before I went back and actually watched it because I wasn't paying eighty dollars for it. But um, I, I did, you know, scoring objectively, I did think he deserved to win the fight. But, you know, Francis Ngannou certainly won the event. Um, as far as Usyk, weirdly, after the Dubois fight, I kind of wondered more about Usyk. 
Like, haven't we seen the absolute best of him? And he's been a guy crippled by inactivity. I mean, more so, you know, Fury, it's also, it's almost been like, you know, his choice. With Usyk, it's, you know, like a lot of injuries. And he, he averages less than two fights a year. And I keep saying with all these guys that sit out for so long, eventually that inactivity catches up to you. We've seen it with so many fights this year alone. But now it's with both guys. I mean, this was Tyson's first fight, you know, in, um, since the Derek Chisora, you know, the, the trilogy fight, which 11 months, yeah, as one sided as a trilogy, right. we, we got to stop calling that a trilogy. Like, <laughs> I, I, when I you have three fights end in, in yeah. badly for one guy, it's no longer a trilogy, <laughs> it's just three fights. Okay, the third step up fight in that series for Tyson Fury. <laughs> um, but yeah, right, that's been you know, 11 months, and you know, he had that benefit, he had two fights, um, you know. Everything we saw in the Dillian White from like, okay, he's not completely shot from that three-fight series with uh, Deontay Wilder. But you do wonder if the punch resistance is gone. Like you said, he is getting up there in age. That catches up. He's been down quite a bit. You know, he was down even before um, Deontay Wilder, too. So, he's you know, he's taking his little bit of punishment, more so in that three-fight series, you know, a true trilogy. And then, um, yeah, he didn't take any against Dillian White or Derek Chisora, but just being out that long. And then, you know, obviously he took his lumps here. Now I'm back to, I was always like kind of 50 50. I figured, you know, Fury's going to um, just find a way to win because he's so much, he usually gets by on a size alone. But Usyk is probably the best technician in the heavyweight division. Like after the Dubois fight, I'm like, okay, where is Usyk at? I think we've seen the best, but maybe this version of Usyk will be enough to get past Tyson Fury. Um, I, I guess for all the head games, I do want to believe Tyson Fury is absolutely going to take that fight seriously. For now, it seems like Usyk is way more committed to it. Um, I am with you, though. You know, Alex Krasik seems confident that we're going to get an announcement next week. So either they're being completely scammed or this fight is finally on the horizon. And, you know, we'll finally get that announcement. Um, I, I'm still right around 50, 50. I, I don't know if I'm ready to all the way commit to saying that um, Usyk would be the favorite. <laughs> I, I guess maybe I was like 60, 40 going into the, the Fury and Ganu fight. Now just wondering how much punch resistance Fury has. I would say a little bit. Yeah. Maybe, you know, Usyk I think has a better chance than maybe I thought he did on, uh, you know, going into October 28th. Yeah, I'm, I was 60-40 as well before the Ngannou fight. Now I'm closer to 50-50. I'm not lower than that because right. going into an Usyk fight, Fury doesn't really have to worry about the power. I mean, Usyk's got mm -hmm. the skill, but you know, yeah. yeah, he's got some some knockouts, and he did hurt Anthony Joshua in that first fight, but I, I don't think he has the power to hurt Tyson Fury. So I, he does need to be wary of that, not in the same way he was when he fought Francis Ngannou. What I'm curious about over the next couple of months is how does Tyson Fury handle being a guy that's widely criticized. Like, it's been right. like 10 years, Jake, since Fury faced criticism for a performance, really. You got to right. go back to, like, Steve Cunningham when he fought him in yeah. New York, when he got knocked down in that fight. Since then, Fury has been either, you know, meeting expectations or exceeding them, whether it was the Vladimir Klitschko fight, the fights with Deontay Wilder. He took care of business easily against Dillian White, who at that time was still a, a reasonably high-ranked contender. He's never faced this kind of backlash before. And look, I'm not going to question Tyson Fury's mental toughness because that's he's as mentally tough as they come to overcome the things that he right. has. But, you know, I, watching some of the interviews that he did after the fight, like, th there's an adversarialness to them at mm -hmm. times. You're like, yes, like, our, you know, people are asking, like, did, did the stuff we're talking about, did you lose? Have you lost something? You're 35 years old. Uh, why couldn't you take care of a guy that's never boxed before? I mean, France Ngannou didn't win the fight. But he won the day, and he was the guy that right. everybody was talking about in the aftermath. Fury had to, has had to kind of go on the defensive, which he hasn't done in a long time. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's weird to say, but I, I just wonder if that's going to affect him. Maybe it motivates him. I don't know. It could, mm -hmm. could work the other way. But I think it is a variable in all this, how Tyson Fury handles kind of the negative attention that's around him for the first time in his career. 
Yeah, that is a very good point. Because even going into the second Deontay Wilder fight, it's like, yeah, he had to cut, you know, against them, Otto Valin, but he clearly won that fight. You know, that, that yeah. was, uh, you know, that was Valin's big victory is that he had Tyson Fury hurt at one point, but he couldn't finish him. But, you know, there was nothing, there wasn't really that much criticism. Everything else, like even going into the first Deontay Wilder fight, Fury was playing with house money. Nobody gave him a shot. And, you know, he arguably won that fight. So I, I'm kind of with you on that. Um I would say going into the Dillian White fight, like that began like, okay, he was going to pick and choose who he was going to speak to in the media because he clearly wasn't going to talk to anyone who was going to ask about our good friend DK. Mm -hmm. um, but ever since that, I have there, you know, Fury's been like, you know, a little bit selective with who he speaks to in the media. So um, and now more, it's like, how many times is he going to answer those same questions or before he's just going to be, okay, next, next question, next question, you know, that's going to be coming. So I don't know if that's going to carry into the ring, but it is an interest, interesting dynamic in his career. Yeah, it makes uh, that Usyk fight a lot more interesting, and I do think we'll get an announcement. That's uh, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's coming in the you know next week, some point next week. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say we're either getting that or we're just you know like a, a day away from a, another Tyson Fury meltdown to completely. I know. Focus. Yeah, it's either going to be announced or he's going to retire. Like <laughs> exactly, that's the only thing I see stopping the fight at this point. All right, I want to talk about the 135-pound division. I was in Lake Tahoe this past weekend because I'm a masochist, and I was watching. <laughs> uh, the fight headlined by F.A. Jogba, you know, fighting Joe Goodall, you know, that whatever, you know, that's that fight was fine. But I was most interested in the co-main event, uh, Raymond Raymond Murataya. Am I saying that correctly? Mm -hmm. I think I'm saying yes, that right. right. Undefeated, uh, 135 pounder, and I've watched a little bit of his fights, you know, over the last you know couple of years. He's been fighting for top rank. He had a fight against Diego Torres, and going into that fight. It felt like to me that could have been an upset special. You got Diego Torres, a bit of an unknown Mexican puncher. You know, Morataya, good fighter. Didn't know how good he was. Certainly thought he was good. He certainly believed he was on that championship level. But then Morataya goes out there and just dominates. Brilliant performance. Finishes it with a knockout. He is ranked in the top 10, I think, in at least a couple of the sanctioning bodies right now. I don't want to overhype the guy, uh, mm -hmm. Jake. But, I mean, undefeated. Got Robert Garcia in his corner. Got power. I think he's got 16 knockouts in his nine his nine fights or his, his 19 wins. What do you make of this guy? Like, you know, I, I was impressed with what I saw. Like, do you see this, this kid as uh, a contender at 135? I absolutely see him as a contender. He's definitely someone on the rise. I mean, lightweight, depending on what happens December 9th, most of us seem to believe Devin Haney, his last fight at lightweight was against Vasily Lomachenko. I do not see him coming back just as big as he is. That's a lot to come back, except maybe a fight with Tank, which would be, you know, insane money for him to turn down. Uh, beyond that, I think Lightweight's going to undergo a complete transformation, and Raymond Murray will definitely be a part of that. Um, I, I love the fact he's already overcome adversity, too. He, you know, his first fight of the year, he got knocked down, he came back, and he knocked out, uh, who was it, Umberto Galindo, I believe it was. So, you know, we've already seen that from him. It's like, okay, you know, can he take a punch? You know, I, I think he can. Yeah, I think he just got caught. And then, but he he didn't let it uh, shake him up. He, he, you know, he came right back. He knocked the guy out. And he's been on a roll ever since. Um, I feel a little cheated because I was, I, I even told him this too. I was supposed to be ringside when he fought Diego Torres. I was supposed to be on the Navarrete uh, Oscar Valdez card. And, you know, he got injured. And so now it got pushed back. And I will say this for you, Chris. You went to Lake Tahoe. Not only did you go to Lake Tahoe, you went there for an FA job to fight. So you were like <laughs> the ultimate basketballist. <laughs> but yeah, there was, you know, perfect opportunity for Raymond Murataya to steal the show. Granted, FA did what he did. But Murataya went in. He saw, you know, the, the, the opportunity and he seized it. I am, he has tremendous upside. Um, I don't think he's going to be rushed either. So I think that's also working in his favor. Between top rank and Robert Garcia, he is in very, very good hands. 
So, and top rank, they have, you know, significant stock at, in the lightweight division. So, uh, yeah, I really see him being a major player in 2024. Yeah, they've got a lot of pieces in the lightweight division. I, I do sure think they. from, you know, when I was out there talking to some top rank people, I think they will get Lomachenko against Cambosis in the mm-hmm. first quarter of 2024 for the IBF version of the 135-pound title, which will mean George Cambosis gets yet another payday, probably in Australia, like when that fight yeah. takes place. I swear to God. All respect to George Cambosis. Like he has turned one win to like twenty-five million dollars, maybe Absolutely. more. Like he has and look, even if he loses to Lomachenko, he can go up to one forty and fight Teofimo in like a rebound there fight and make another million bucks. Like it's, right. it's unbelievable. <laughs> one win. And he's turned that into a boatload of cash. More power to him, Lou yes. DeBella and the rest of his management team uh over there. So yeah, they've got some some pieces there. And if you're Muratai, you're in a great spot. You wanna, you know, let's assume Shakur Stevenson next week wins. That mm-hmm. version of the 135 pound title. You got Lomachenko. You know, maybe they fight each other at some point next year. If you're Muratai, you want to get into that other half of the bracket. You want to get a WBO belt. You want to get a WBA belt. I know it's a little bit trickier, you know, navigating these things, although the WBO right. does a lot of what top rank is uh, exactly likes, likes to do. But, you know, I, I, I was impressed. Like, like you said, like he got knocked down a few fights before. I haven't been dazzled by him in in fights fights that I've seen since, but the way he dominated Torres, start to finish, battered him, you know, until that guy couldn't, you know, maybe a bit of a quick stoppage, but still he was, you know, beat down in every single round. That was really impressive from that guy. I think he's he's a legit player uh, at 135. Great performance by him. On the DAZN broadcast of the Joe Cordina uh, Edward Vasquez fight, which uh, I almost won big on betting on Edward Vasquez. This close, <laughs> this close. Got him at plus 810, Jake. Oof. This close. By the way, not a robbery either. Like Cordina no, won, it was fine. 16 12 wide, but whatever. Yeah, he, yes. he, you know, Vasquez didn't do enough in the first half of the fight to, to win, in my opinion. But on that broadcast, uh, we had John Ryder uh, mm-hmm. talking about. His future. John Ryder, of course, coming off the loss to Canelo Alvarez, went the distance with him back in May. There's been a lot of talk about John Ryder against Jaime Munguia. You know, Munguia, of course, fighting at 168, looking for an opponent as early as January. John Ryder has thrown his name into the mix. We talk a lot, Jake, about competitive opponents for Jaime Munguia, credible opponents for Jaime Munguia. If that fight gets over the finish line, mm-hmm. is John Ryder a legit test for Jaime Munguia? Um, I, I would say so. Um, all right, let, let me backtrack on that. I, I guess in the grand scheme of things, it's like, it, I guess it depended on your viewpoint of what you thought the Mungia sergey Darbinchenko fight was going to be. If you thought that was going to go exactly was it, as it did and you were fine with Mungia's performance in it, that, you know, the fact that he didn't dominate him, that he had to overcome, you know, a war like that to win, then yes, John Ryder will be a test for him. Um, I, to me, it's a very similar fight. John Ryder is like, the guy that came this close, he arguably should have beat Callum Smith to win the title. Um, and then he's just, you know, he, he kind of fluked his way into the interim title to get that Canelo payday. So I, I think it's a good test for McGee just because McGee hadn't fought anybody since he moved up from 154, you know, at, at middleweight. And then up until he fought Darvinchenko, that was like his first true test since he's been a champion. So I, I think it's a nice step for what McGee wants to accomplish in 2024. I do love the fact that, you know, Go, uh, Eric Gomez at the WBO convention has said, yeah, we're going to accept our mandatory now because it, he's been turning it down, you know, at middleweight and even at super middleweight, he's kind of been biding his time. Like, yeah, of course we'll fight Canelo. And then, you know, Paco <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah, I'll take, a, my, I'll take yeah. the mandatory now. Unbelievable. Yeah. He's turned down, beginning with Demetrius Andrade at 154, yes. he was turning Double down times. mandatories left yeah. and right. 
Yeah, he turned down Android several times. He turned down Genovic several times. But Paco, what I loved is like, okay, well, you're not going to sit there and keep that ranking. It's like Canelo's mandatory is not due until like next December. So, you know, he has to go out and fight it. it. I do find it weird that he's going to fight John Ryder potentially in, I believe, January. And this is all setting up a big fight with Edgar Palanga. It's like, I don't know if that's which direction that's going, but um, I, I know that's a very sellable fight that, you know, the zone told both guys at one point, you know, that's the fight they wanted. You know, that's why they didn't get, you know, cheap tune-ups, you know, in, in November. It's why they're both only fighting once this year. Um, I'm fine with him fighting John Ryder next. I think it'll be a tough, grueling challenge that he will find a way to overcome. I think he's fully grown at 168. I like this fit better for him than I do at 160. Yeah, I like the John Ryder fight. I, I think it's a difficult one in some ways because Ryder is tricky. Uh, he does have a legitimate win over Daniel Jacobs. Uh, he, he did, you know, the Zach Parker fight ended because Parker got injured, but there's no reason to believe he couldn't have won that fight too. And he went the distance with Canelo for whatever that's worth. So I, I think it's a legitimate test for uh, Jaime McGeehan. If we're building towards Munguia Berlanga in June, July, it's fine. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. fine with it. As long as his name is on the dotted line to fight Edgar Berlanga in June, July, that's credible enough. I think the bigger problem is finding some for Edgar Berlanga and who his team will accept for right. uh, that fight. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe you know who they're going to accept. Like, <laughs> my, my simple, basic run-through of the 168-pound rankings settled on, like, Patrick McGrory. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know anything about him, but I'm, right. I'm fine with him because he's undefeated and he's highly ranked in by one of the sanctioning bodies. You know, I, I could live with that, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it seems to me like Edgar Berlanga is going to have to find somebody credible to fight, whether it's February, March, whenever they right. get that deal over the finish line. I don't know if you have any insight into, into who he might be facing next, but I, I think that's a bigger challenge than... Mm -hmm. Finding someone from Munguia. Munguia seems willing to fight Ryder. Cool. Matchroom wants yeah. to do that fight. Cool. It's reasonable. Now you got to do the Berlanga side of all this, and that might be a little more challenging. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I don't have any real insight on who Berlanga will fight just when. Um, I know I've heard January or February. Um, they want to keep those fights as close as possible to build that intrigue and not, you know, keep either one on the bench too long. McGrory would make sense because I, I believe he wasn't running up until they decided he was going to fight Jason Quigley instead. Matter of fact, I think I had a story written until I found out, oh, shit, I got the wrong Irish guy. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, but yeah, I, I think that would be fine. Like anyone that, you know, is undefeated. I, I don't think that's a, a terrible fight for Belanga, um, especially considering who he's fought so far. He, his career has leveled off. So um, I think getting that commitment, OK, we got this fight, then we're going to fight Mungia next, which I do believe Belanga's side is already on board for. You know, but both of those, if that turns out to be who he fights, I, I'm perfectly fine with both of those fights leading up to that. McGrory, actually, from what I heard, he's, he's a sneaky good punch. Doesn't have a lot of knockouts on his resume, but he's got a little bit of power as well. But he's credible. That's the most important thing. Like, Absolutely. you know, Jason Quigley has a comeback fight, fine. But yeah. you got to fight somebody credible in your weight class. And if you're not going to fight, like, Christian Mabili or, or one of right. these other guys that's ranked really high, which I don't necessarily yeah. blame you for. I think Christian Mabili is really, really good. You know, he's, he's dangerous. Or you're not going to fight, like, a Diego Pacheco, who uh, is going to fight in a couple weeks. Then fine. Uh, just, you know... A guy like McGrory, that works. Mm -hmm. Do it again in New York. You can talk about all the Irish guys you're beating up or whatever right. <laughs> in New York City. I mean, it probably you'll probably do a good crowd at the theater, at the Garden, mm -hmm. so that's fine. But again, none of this matters unless these guys have their names signed to fight each other. If we Absolutely. need to get Berlanga against Munguia the middle half of next, of next year. This cannot be another situation 
like it was with like Demetrius Andrade and Gennady Golovkin right. and Canelo Alvarez, all kind of fighting under the same banner, but never fighting each other. You, you can't exactly. have that happen. You've got good prime super middleweights. I'd even throw Pacheco in that mix if he gets through, mm. you know, the next couple of fights, this one coming up right. in a week. And then after that, I mean, that guy's ranked the top 10 by four of the sanctioning bodies too. Like he's going to yeah. be in line for a mandatory title shot uh, at some point. So, you know, you got to get these guys in the ring. And it begins with Munguia against Berlanga. Do John Ryder against Jaime Munguia. Then do McGrory against Edgar Berlanga. Let's have a right. big fight, man. Let's have a big fight that sells out, you know, an arena in Southern California that does a big number, maybe the big room even at Madison Square Garden, Mexico versus Puerto Rico. I mean, how often do those miss? Like, how often Absolutely. do those fights not turn out to be fantastic? So let's just make, make that one happen. Last thing for you, keeping it on the Irish theme. Uh, Callum Walsh is in action mm -hmm. on Thursday. I'm going to watch that fight uh, live here in New York. Um, Callum Walsh has a lot of muscle behind him. Callum Walsh has Tom Loeffler as his promoter, who's best known for bringing Gennady Golovkin to the U.S. and building him uh, here stateside. He's got Freddie Roach, the Hall of Fame trainer, in right. his corner. And he is backed by Dana White, who I don't think has an official role, really, with Callum Walsh. At least not that's not what they were saying this week, but has kind of bankrolled him by putting him on UFC right. Fight Pass, making him a little bit of money, and something tells me he might have had something to do with the fact that Callum Walsh is going to headline the theater at MSG the same weekend that UFC is out here right. you know, fight, uh, you know, doing their show in uh, Madison Square Garden. Uh, my question, though, Jake, is, is he good? Like, I don't know yet. Like, I I've watched some right. of his fights. I've been to Quiet Cannon, the Tom Loeffler uh, house, <laughs> house casino, and watched some of his fights. He looks good. Um, he hasn't faced the best of opposition as of yet. I think he's going to get a decent test on Thursday, but I, I can't, I can't, I can't my finger. Maybe this Thursday I'll find out. I'll, I'll really decide if Callum Walsh is, is any good, but what's your take on Callum Walsh and, uh, what kind of fighter he can be? Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned like Diego Pacheco before, cause I've been thinking about this all day. I, I personally like Callum Walsh. I think he's a good prospect. I think he's on the way up. The problem is, like, Tom Loeffler is not the promoter he was. Like, he had, you know, Chocolatito and Gennady Golovkin under the same banner. He was, like, running HBO at one point. So now, like, anyone he has that has potential, we're going to hear that guy's name over and over and over. My fear, you know, then you add in the Freddie Roach thing. Every press release has been on trained by, you know, all trained, trained of Freddie Roach. It's like, anytime you hear a guy is trained by so-and-so, I'm a little skeptical. It's like, okay, why do we keep hearing about the trainer and not the fighter? I, like I said, I like him. I've seen a, a bombardment of, of press releases to where I'm a little worried he's never going to live up to what's become already unrealistic expectations. So I think he just needs to develop as a prospect. And this is, let, let's be emphatically clear, this is his first test he's going to face on Thursday. I think it's a decent test. We've seen uh, Villarreal. He was on Showbox. He gave uh, Audriel Holmes a, you know, a pretty tough fight. And Holmes is not easy, you know, 6'2", junior middleweight. Southpaw at that. Not easy yeah. for anyone. So, and Vera, you know, he went 10 rounds. He almost beat him. Um, this will be his first good, uh, decent test. I, I think we're going to find out after Thursday what he's about going into 2024. Um, I, I just can't keep hearing, you know, what Freddie Roach thinks about him, you know, what Tom Loft thinks about him, what Fred Sternberg thinks about him. You know, it's like, I don't I forget like our man Bernie. Don't forget of our course, man Bernie. What do you think about I, him? I, Bernie's doing his job. I mean, look, I, I give him full credit. Um, <laughs> But I think the problem with Callum Walsh I have is that we're being told that this guy is the future. 
I look at like Diego Pacheco. This guy is the future. Yeah. Like we mentioned Ungea, we mentioned Erga Belanga. He is never going to be allowed anywhere near those guys until one of them has a title and they absolutely have to fight him. And they'll probably still dump a title. Pacheco is the absolute future of the sport. Every time I watch him, I'm like, this guy is going to run shit at super middleweight. I even wonder like how he would eventually look against someone like David, you know, Benavides, who, you know, they train together. So they probably won't fight each other, but like that's a, a super fight in the making. So Callum Walsh, he's on his way. I'm just hearing his name way too much compared to who he's fought. I mean, he's only what? It, this is going to be his ninth pro fight. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, great, great. It's great that he's, he's headlining, but it's still a prospect headlining his show. It's not like, you know, because he deserves this spot that he's, you know, he's taking a spot from Javante Davis or something. No, you're, so, and you're, uh, you're right about Pacheco. And I bring this, he's going to join the show a little bit later. And I brought this up during our interview. Like, people I talk to in boxing, rave about it. I mean, I'm not just talking about his own people. Like, you know, it's not right. just Matchroom and the people that are with the zone. It's people that have nothing to do with him that, that yeah. see, have seen him fight. Like, that kid's the goods. Like, that kid's yes. the real deal. Like, he, you're right. He's the future. Like, he's 22 yeah. years old. Right. Uh, was he 19 and 0 and, and just it, it, with concussive power that he's proven at the mid-level. And yeah. I firmly believe in the next couple of years, he's going to prove it at an even higher level. Like, you're not going to see... Munguia get in with him. You're not going to see Berlanga get in with him. These guys are going to avoid that kid for as long as they possibly can. Um, Absolutely. You know, Benavidez, maybe down the line, will have to find a new trainer for that fight, of course. But <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a believer in Diego Pacheco. It, it's it's really been the last three or four fights. I think when he, whenever you he, he headlined in the UK, that was when when I watched him fight there, and he, yeah. he's grown into he's growing into his man strength and becoming just a absolute beast at 168. Like he's the real deal, I think. Yeah, we spoke about him last year when he was on the uh, Estrada Chocolatito rubber match. He was like the first. I think he even came up to me. He's like top three prospect of the year, like without a doubt. And yeah, that's the thing. It's like you wonder: is he like the the top prospect right now, or or is he already a contender? He's got to be a contender when you're ranked like yeah. in the top Absolutely. five by a couple of the sanctioned bodies. You're you've blown yeah. past, uh, you know that that sort of uh, prospect status. He's he's the goods, and I'm glad to see he's yeah. gonna get a chance headlining. In a couple of weeks. Yeah, no, that, I, I can't wait for that fight. Like I said, with Callum Smith, I mean, Callum Walsh, excuse me. I'm glad, you know, I, I'm going to check out his fight on Thursday. Um, I, I would just like to see his team, you know, just put, look, this is a prospect on the rise. Not like this is the future of boxing because <laughs> he has no chance to live up to those expectations. Yeah, they're definitely setting the bar pretty high for him. Yes. No doubt about that. We'll see what he does on Thursday. Uh, follow Jake Donovan on Twitter. Read his stuff over at BoxingScene.com. One of the best insiders in the entire business. Jake, appreciate your time, man. Good to catch up. Always a pleasure being on the show, Chris. Thanks for having me back on. And when we come back, my conversation with Diego Pacheco. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car Probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. 
This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, he's gonna guard, and then on I'm top of that, like that, see that, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because then I need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Diego Pacheco is a 168-pound prospect who is on the cusp of being called a contender. Maybe he already is a contender. On November 18th, he will headline his first U.S. show when he takes on Marcelo Coceres at the YouTube Theater in Los Angeles. It's a fight you can watch live on the zone. And, and Diego, I want to start this by giving a little praise, I guess, is what you, you call it, because... You know, you know, people in boxing are cynical. Like they, they're they're critical of everybody. Like, ah, oh, this young guy's not that good. This young guy's not that great. Especially when they're talking about fighters that are not their own. But whenever I talk to other promoters, managers, whoever, trainers, about you, they say you're the real deal. They believe that you've got that special something that can make you a great fighter down the line. So I guess my question through all that is. How do you feel about the way you've kind of come along, you know, in these last few years? Uh, I feel good. Um, you know, it feels good to, to know that people will say that about me, you know, because I've, I've put a lot of years into into this. You know, I've been training since I was 10 years old uh, and never, never stopped, never took a day off. Um, just dedicated my life to boxing. And, uh, you know, it feels good to, to, you know, finally be headlining like you said you know headlining now in the u.s earlier in this year i headlined in in the uk then i headlined in mexico and now i get to do it in my in my home in la and uh, it's very exciting you know i'm uh, 19 and 0 right now as a as a professional 22 years old um, and i'm already ranked uh in the top 10 in 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 some of the i think wbc i'm like nine or something and wbo i'm like four so, um, you know, of course, it's exciting. You know, this is what I'm, I'm in this for to, to be at the top. And uh, and then I'm ready. You know, I feel I feel my career has been going. Um, couldn't have been going any better. You know, I'm 19 and 0 and uh, just getting a lot of experience in. And now I'm facing Marcelo Cosares, who's a, a great uh, fighter who's been in some great championship fights and uh, just ready to keep learning and, and keep getting closer and closer to these world title shots. Yeah, you're. I think you're number three in the WBO. So you're top ten in all four of those major sanctioning bodies. That's why you're you're kind of no longer a prospect. You're a contender at this point at 22 years old too. I mean, you were you were 17, right, when you first 
turn yeah. pro? Yep, pro debut was at, at 17. And that was was that down in Mexico because you have to do that down in Mexico, right? Or- yeah, that was my first two fights were in uh, Tijuana because I was I was 17, and then when I turned 18, then I fought at the Forum, and then um, after that, it's just been uh, big shows, you know, thanks to to Matchroom and the Zone who who put me in all these uh, great cards with a lot of great fighters that I've been been able to like learn from and just observe and watch how they move and stuff. You know, it's been it's been good. What was it like for a 17-year-old to turn pro in Tijuana? I've got to imagine that's got to be a little nerve-wracking. Um, it was a little bit, you know, just because uh, it's Mexico, so you never know what's going to happen in Mexico. But um, but it was good. You know, I thought I was ready. Um, as amateur, you know, I, I had a lot of experience. I was an eight-time national champion. I was ranked number one in the country for a few years in a row, so... Um, I was kind of used to uh, being at the top of my game. You know, I was anywhere I went, they knew I was there to, to, to you know, make a statement or, or for people to remember who I was. And uh, nothing has changed, you know, throughout the years. That's the way I, I was brought up, you know, to just go and leave it all out there every single time I get in that ring. And uh, and that's what's gotten me to where I'm at. And, uh, you know, I'm just not, not looking at taking my foot off the gas pedal anytime soon. You know, turning pro... At 17, there must have been a reason for that. Why, why did you choose the pro path as opposed to, you know, the the traditional amateur system, try to get in the Olympics? As you mentioned, you were a decorated amateur. Yeah, um, you know, it's crazy because, so when I was 16, I was ranked number one in Mexico and in the U.S. So I, I had to like, I basically had the option to choose which way I wanted to go. And I chose Mexico because, you know, of course, you know, my parents are Mexican, um, you know, just hasn't been a, a gold medalist in Mexico in I don't know how long. So my dream was to, to bring a gold medal to Mexico. And then um, so Mexico brought me to their Olympic training center in Mexico City. And I was there for about three months just living there. And, and I was honestly like getting tired of it. I didn't want to be in Mexico. So they told me there was two years left until the 2020 Olympics. And they said, well, from here on there, you have to live here in Mexico and stay here which wasn't what we had agreed on. They like flipped it on me and I was like, man, like I don't want to live here. I don't want to live in Mexico for the next two years. And then there was the option of turning pro. So I was like, man, like, so I'd rather turn pro than live in Mexico the next two years. And what's so crazy is then the pandemic hit and like there wasn't even any Olympics to like the following year. So it's so, like everything happens for a reason. You know, I had that deal with Matchroom and I signed the deal and uh, turned pro at 17. And, um, and yeah, when the pandemic hit, I was already like nine and oh, so, um, yeah, it was, it was great, man. Everything happens for a reason. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, um, in, in God's plan and, and I'm just, I'm here riding with it and just going day by day. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, the pandemic set them back for you, kind of propelled you in a way you, you had those options to fight, stay busy, stay active as Matchroom has been doing with guys over the last couple of years and, and that must have been an extra- incredibly valuable experience. For sure, for sure, man. You know, I was. It was funny because when the pandemic hit, I was like, I think I was like eleven or twelve months into being a pro, and I already had like nine fights. So um, it kind of like slowed me down a little bit because it was going by like super fast. I'm like, damn, I just turned pro and I'm already nine and zero. You know, so then the pandemic kind of like slowed things down a little bit, which I think was like perfect for me. You know, I got to like chill a little bit, really like really like catch up to it. I'm like, damn, I'm already nine and no, I'm, I'm already fighting six, eight rounds. And, um, and then I, I kept fighting. Like you said, you know, I was one of the guys who was, who was fortunate enough to get a fight right away. 
a few months after the the everything like got shut down and uh and yeah you know i'm really grateful for matchroom they've been doing a great job of my career and uh and i'm just ready to, to show out once again next week you were obviously as you said a, a great amateur fighter decorated amateur fighter u.s mexico but your style just fits the pros like you you've got power man <laughs> you you knock guys out and i'm wondering like how how long did it take you to realize that this pro style was going to work out as well or better than the amateur uh, pro style? Well, you know what's crazy? Even when I was an amateur, everyone would always tell me I had a pro style. I remember in my first few amateur fights, um, because I really didn't start competing amateur until I was like 14, 15, almost 15, you know? So it was from 15 and 16 where I did like all my fights and all my tournaments and where I won those national titles. And uh, I remember, like, my style, was, it was always like a pro style. Like, I was always dropping guys to the body. I was dropping guys with uppercuts or with one-twos, you know, just the simple things, the simple punches that I was never the type to just ah, go in there and, and throw punches and bunches. I was more of the guy who wanted to sit down on my punches and, like, really make them fill them, you know. I didn't want to just go in there and make points. And even when I was spar, you know, I remember as a kid, I was dropping a lot of guys. I was, I was putting guys down. I was... I was hurting guys, the guys older than me, you know, so I've always known I've had, I've had like power in me, just natural power. Like I'm not even like a big guy. I've always been skinny. I've always been, uh, you know, I remember it was funny. I would walk into gyms and, and like nobody would pay attention to me. It was just a, a tall, lanky kid, you know? And then uh, once I got in the ring, they were all like, damn, like he got skills. Like he can move. He, he's, he can move for a, a tall kid, you know? And it was, it was good to hear those things. And that's really what, what pushed me, you know, my dad, he did, everything in his power to like give me the best training make sure i'm eating well make sure i'm resting and you know i grew up in south central you know my parents both work minimum wage jobs you know so it wasn't easy for him and and i just felt like my whole life growing up i felt like i owed him my hard work and i owed him my my focus and my determination and and that's what's gotten me here so far you talk about tra- you know working with the right trainers and, and you've been working lately with jose benavidez what has that done for your career? Uh, it's done a lot. You know, I feel, you know, because I, I grew up in Los Angeles, California, and now I've moved to Seattle, Washington. I've been here for almost two years, and uh, I feel like it's just it's just a different focus, a different type of a training, everything. You know, I feel like it, it helped me not just as a boxer, but as a human being, you know, just being a man, you know, I now I have my baby who's on the way. Um, just everything has been a lot better. You know, I'm, I'm so glad I made this move to, to Washington. And, and I feel it's like the best thing I've done for my career. You know, you're up there with a fight coming up in a couple of weeks. David Benavidez is up there with a fight in a couple of weeks. You're both 168 pounders. I'm guessing that you're helping each other in, in this. Like, how, how much interaction have you guys had? Sparring have you had? How has that worked with two guys, same weight class, same trainer, having fights so close to each other? Oh, it's great. You know, we, of course, like you said, you know, we get to be in camp together. We get to train together and feed off of each other when we're in camp, you know, because it does get hard, you know, these long weeks of, of hard work, you know, three workouts a day. Um, but it's great, you know, having a guy like him who's who's been through this, who's been at the top, who's who's still at the top, you know, to in my eyes, he's he's the best 168-pound fighter in the world. So it's great to be alongside him. You know, um, we were sparring uh, in the beginning of camp before he had the 
before he locked in the Adrande fight because I think he was like in discussions with like Jaime Munguia, mm-hmm. like a few other guys who, so he wasn't sure. But then when he got the left, left-hander fighter, Andrade, he brought in a, left, a southpaw sparring partners, you know, so I haven't really been able to spar with him as much. But I have my own sparring part- partners here as well. And, um, you know, we train together every day. We're, we're a team. And, uh, and yeah, it's been, campus has been going great. Do, you know, it, it's a long way off. You're young, and he's got other objectives right now. But when you're, like, kind of in the gym, do you ever talk about the possibility of kind of facing each other down the line when maybe it's at 175? You know, maybe it's it's in a different weight class because you're both on that upward trajectory where there's a pretty good chance at some point you're going to be in the same weight division with titles around your waist. For sure, yeah. We've it's, it's things that we've discussed before. You know, he's a great fighter. He's he's like I said. You know, he's ranked number one in all of the sanctioning fees, and uh, and I'm on my way there. You know, like you said, um, what could be at 175. You know, he's a big guy. I'm a big guy, and um, and yeah, you know, we've talked about about making a fight down the line. You know, with with me trying to be the best in the way, and him trying to be the best as well. You know, there's no way that we won't won't face each other on our way there. You know, so. Um, Definitely, you know, the best man win. And uh, and yeah, it is what it is. It's boxing. It's a business. And we're ready to go. We're ready I gotta to imagine. I got to imagine, though, you'd have to find a new trainer for that fight. I got <laughs> yeah, to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to find somebody. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it, it'll be great, man. You know, he's a great fighter. I'm a great fighter. Our, our sparring sessions are always really good. You know, we're, we're they're always, um, you know, I'm boxing and he's coming forward and, and it's just fun to watch. You know, everyone loves to watch. And, and I know in the future when the fight does get made, it's going to be a, a really mega fight, you know? Man, I would love to have some footage of those sparring sessions. I bet they're great. Um, you're facing yeah. Caceres next week, and he's a familiar name. Uh, gave Billy Joe Saunders hell before getting stopped in the 11th round of that fight a few years ago. Was competitive in a decision defeat to Edgar Berlanga. Uh, you want to win, of course. That's paramount. But is it in your mind at all to win maybe more impressively than some of the other guys he has faced have beaten him? Uh, yes, for sure. Um, you know, I want to, like you said, he gave trouble to all these other great fighters. You know, I want to go in there and just control the fight, um, do what I want, you know, have fun, just like I do in every other fight, you know, control the, but make it my fight. You know, I control the pace and 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 I do whatever I want. You know, I pick him apart, break him down and, and when he's ready to go, you know, I'm, 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 I'm get him out of there. We talked about kind of where you're ranked. And, you know, I mean, you win a fight like this, you move up in all the sanctioning body rankings. Like, you are quite literally knocking on the door of a world title shot. When you talk to Eddie Hearn or your management team about the pathway to that, is there, do you see a pathway to a world title shot maybe as early as next year? Yes. Yes, I've talked to uh, my team about it. You know, um, Eddie, I was with him, I think, for that last show. And TJ, when my brother fought, I was with him and I was telling him how after this fight, you know, I'm already ranked, like you said, top five in, in most of the, in all of them, basically. And um, like you said, after this fight, it's only going to, like, bring me up higher. And I told him, you know, for next fight, I want to fight, like, Edgar Berlanga or, or you know, another guy who's up there with me in the top ten, you know. And um, I just really um, earned my way up to a world title. You know, of course, I'm not going to jump over all these other guys who've been on top of the who've been on top of the rankings for longer than I have. You know, I have to face these guys to, to be able to get to that world title fight. And I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to, to face anyone. You know, what I'm saying I told Eddie next year, um, I feel I'm ready for whoever they want me to face. 
And this reminds me a little, Diego, of the first couple of years of DAZN when Eddie signed all these middleweights. He had Demetrius Andrade. He had Canelo. Well, I mean, Canelo was around the DAZN with Golden Boy at that time. But, you know, Gennady Golovkin was there. And they never really fought each other. I mean, Golovkin and Canelo fought once, but it was always like, why can't we make these fights happen? Right now, three of the top and most entertaining super middleweights in the world, you know, outside of Canelo, are you, are Jaime Munguia, are Edgar Berlanga. Like, that almost has to happen. Like, there has to be some kind of round robin with you guys kind of facing each other because though all every one of those fights is can't miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you. You know, I'm, I'm ready. You know, like I said, I'm in I'm in this boxing business to to fight the best, to make the best fights happen, to 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 make the most out of out of this career, you know, that I have and I don't have for a long time. Um, like like I said before, uh, boxing is 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 not a long career, you know, and, and I understand, you know, there's there's like steps to get into there and i feel matchroom has done a great job in and um bringing me up to to now people calling me contender to now people saying i'm able to to you know face these names like mungia like berlanga like all these all these top guys and um and, and i feel now is the time you know i feel i'm, I'm 22 I'm, I'm now getting into my man strength i'm i feel i'm a grown man now for real and uh and and i'm ready for whoever is willing to, to get in the ring with me Last question for you. Um, you mentioned you have headlined in the UK. You have headlined in Mexico. But is there a little extra juice for a kid from South Central to be headlining YouTube theater uh, for the first time? Oh, yeah, for sure, man. You know, everyone back home was excited. I'm excited. <laughs> uh, you know, I've had a great camp. Uh, and, and I'm just, you know, super grateful for the opportunity, you know. And uh, and like like I've done with every other opportunity that's been presented to me, I'm going to show out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show what I'm about. You always entertain, that's for sure. If you're in L.A., check out Diego Pacheco, Marcelo Coceres, uh, on at the YouTube Theater on November 18th. You can also watch it live on DAZN. Diego, good to catch up, man. We will see you uh, next week. See you next week, Chris. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Jake Donovan and Diego Pacheco for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Thank you so much. I go sleep. Fire the grill and fire up the party. Get the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. Go from low and slow on smoke boost mode at 180 degrees all the way to high heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full grate sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Food will look as good as it tastes. This grill is hot in 15 minutes and cleanup is easy. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. 
It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.